Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, aka the Bat Tribble. And on this, the third week of March 2021, we will spend some time once again with D. Rez, director D. Rez, who we talked about a few weeks ago with her debut. Tonight, we will talk about her sophomore effort, 2017's Mudbound. But before we get to... <laughs> Sharon says she needs all the drinks after finishing the film. We'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, it was quite a film. But we'll talk about all of that. We will talk about all the mud and where it was bound. (laughs) But before we get to that, Lynn, I believe we have some business to conduct. We do have business to conduct. First and foremost, we want to thank each and every one of you out there who are watching and listening to us streaming live via StreamYard on our YouTube channel, as well as on Facebook. Shout out to Aaron Fry, Sharon Eldridge, and Robert Monroe Jr. who hit up, up in the chat. How are you doing? Hey, each and every hey one what's of you? going on, folks? What's going on? Um, we got some emails, Vince. Okay. And one email... <clears throat> it's from a fan of ours at our uh, old home in Philly cam, oh. DJ Joe Lex. Hey, what's up, Joe Lex? And what he, he he emailed to us actually was a link. And then just in case we didn't hit the link, uh, <laughs> he actually sent us the full article from the Washington Post it ran back in uh, on March 15th the forgotten film that paved the way to this year's Oscar contenders it's a story by Rebecca Prime about Uptight a movie before its time spotlighting problems still uh, plaguing the nation today um Uptight is a film that we reviewed uh, some time ago here on the Michelle Mission and is indeed a slept on um, piece of social commentary um, produced by Jules Desin and starring Julian Mayfield and Ruby D, among many others in this movie that Vince and I have were huge fans of. I was about to say we were both big, big fans, big fans, so. Certainly watch Uptight, folks, if you haven't. Yeah. And thank you, Joe, for sending that. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And I actually put a link to the article in the uh, the Facebook group, in the Michelle Mission Facebook group, so that everybody can uh, check that out. Um, The film is uh, basically director Jules Descend's remaking or reimagining of the 1935 film The Informer, which Mm -hmm. was a film about Irish revolutionaries. Uh, This film uh, spoke about um, about a black informer potentially against the the black, uh, the civil rights revolution in the 1960s. Um, Really a, a, a cracking like drama 
and it's almost like a, it's like a drama noir almost. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I remember the direction was amazing. Yeah, like yeah. there were a lot of of sort of flourishes. Mm-hmm. It was almost impressionistic. Yes, yes. I remember because because a lot of the film was from the point of view of a character who felt like the whole world was falling in on him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you would see it through his eyes. It's very, very well done film. Very well done film. Yeah. So thanks. Always Joe. glad to see that get um more publicity. Most definitely. Uh, we got also got an email, Vince, from um, Inke King. Hey, Inke King. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. He, uh, uh, they wrote to us. Was surprised that neither of you had seen Charles Burnett other films before reviewing to sleep with anger killer of sheep is considered one of the great films of the last half of the 20th century made a national treasure by the library of congress burnett's a remarkable filmmaker in future i hope you repair your lack of experience and watch his films beginning with killer of sheep i am certain you will be pleased and discover not only a great american filmmaker but an artist and a poet yeah, yeah, Killer of Sheep has been on on our radar for a while now. Um I think it's at this point we might be saving Killer of Sheep. Yeah, yeah. For a well, special. Well, first of all, the one thing we were actually surprised of is considering how heralded this film is, just as um Inke points out, it's not streaming. It's so, not streaming. Yeah, so yeah. We actually had to buy a copy of the DVD for use when it does come time for us to review. Um, and it actually was on the docket to review. And then we realized that it wasn't streaming. So we had to, right. um, you know, call an audible. Um, but and, now and I feel like and I feel like not to cut you off. I feel like we were about to do it. And then the pandemic hit. That's true. That is exactly true. <laughs> That and now we're in the middle of a Ponderosa. <laughs> yeah, that is, you are 100% right. Vince. Yeah. That is exactly what happened. And that's why we weren't able to uh, review that. But yeah, it, it definitely is a film that um, we want to to take in. I know that I haven't see, seen it. Is, is it a film that you, ha- I wasn't, don't remember. Have you I, not seen the film, Vince? Not only have I not seen it, but I had actually gotten to the point where now I don't want to watch it until we review it. Right. Me, me same like, like I actually I actually want to watch it fresh. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've, I, the funny thing is I've had a couple of opportunities over the past few years mm-hmm. and I haven't watched it. Yeah, because you, you, you kind of want to like just sink it in uh, all at that one right. time. I feel you. Right. Uh, we also got a review in a five-star review, Vince, on Apple Podcasts. Okay. From She's She Reels 99. Hey, She, she Reels 99. Says that the Michelle Mission has quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. I love Vince and Len's insights, jokes, stories and camaraderie i also really enjoy the lives on facebook and youtube and the community vibe engendered there i look forward to it every tuesday evening i have it on my calendar and usually have my fat bastard hennessy and white zinfandel (laughs) at the ready 
It is just the kind of COVID era virtual party I need. They cover some movies I've seen, some I've sadly never even heard of. I'm always come away with new appreciations, new takes, and new films to add to my watch list. Well, excellent. That is that is the second reference this episode to people having cocktails while they're listening to us. And I feel like the designated driver of a really good party. <laughs> and yes, I, I something told me because I remember someone else mentioning Fat Bastard in the chat once, yes. once before. And Sharon Eldridge has is raising her hand and waving at us wildly yes that's me she's okay. she's real 99 so hey Sharon okay. hey, thank Sharon. you for the great review we appreciate yes, it drink up drink up cheers and you know what I will I will also say that um, there are times when I have to like um, because I'm monitoring the show but I also monitor the chat and there's sometimes there are definitely moments when I have to laser focus in on what you're saying Vince because right, the right. chat is just going and the, like she, Sharon said the community vibe of everyone that is in the chat is is insane man first of all in the, in the beginning of the show is all good because everybody's like hey Sharon hi hi Deborah what's up Rob hey Aaron they all just you know they, they're checking in with one another but then after that they just start riffing, man. They've got a show going on <laughs> right. all on their own. It is insane. It is funny. Um, it, 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 it is a good time. It really is a good time. So, Well, excellent. Excellent. I'm glad. I'm glad people are enjoying themselves. So am I. Hey, Vince, have you ever watched a movie and it, it may be a good movie, it may be a bad movie or whatever, but the music of the of the movie is just so freaking amazing that is almost too cool for the film. Um, next week that is part of my lead in to Bustin' Loose. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like like I have a lot of affection for Bustin' Loose, but a good fifty percent of it is the Roberta Flack soundtrack. That's interesting. That's interesting. Wow. You know, you saying that just reminded me is that, you know, while I don't share the cultural resonance that everybody has for Claudine, I love the soundtrack to Claudine. Of course. Of course. I I love it. I was watch. I watched today um, Anatomy of a Murder. Yeah. Duke Ellington. Yes. Absolutely. Man. That soundtrack was bananas. Yeah, oh, it took on a life of its own. I want to say it was either out of print or it wasn't on CD. Like there was something funky about it that I remember. And the reason I remember because I was working at the record store and I remember there was conversation. Okay, okay. About Anatomy of a Murder, which I have to say, I think, because that's Auto Primager? Yes, Auto Primager. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I think I watched it because I was introduced to the soundtrack first. Mm hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And there was some conversation around the soundtrack around me because it had either been reissued or like something happened and there was a lot of, oh, anatomy of a murder. But, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, but, and don't get me wrong. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. I mean, I, was, I wanted to say that too. Yeah. It's, it's, ahead, literally, it's literally like for the, for the time that it was made, it's Law and Order SVU the movie. That's, mm-hmm. that's really what the movie is. But the soundtrack, oh my god, that joint was bananas, man! I was look listening to that, and I I was lost. I was like, and it's, and it's its only soundtrack. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole movie is because um, what's my man's name that does the the design for the credits? Oh, the famous guy that does the credits. Oh God, I can't remember. I can't. Now I got. Now I'm going to look. I was about to say, look it up because I'm pretty sure he did the credits. That wonderful image of the of the the outline of the bot. Yeah. Yeah. Saul Bass. Oh, Saul Bass. Yes, Saul Bass. Yes, he did. And that's and that's one of the first films that I noticed that. Mm Mm-hmm. And someone said, "Ah, that's Saul Bass." So yeah, great film. Great, great. Now you're gonna make me. Now you're gonna make me go watch it. Did you know Thomas Jefferson received a 1,200-pound block of cheddar cheese for his presidential inauguration? That a 17th-century pope spent $25,000 on sugar sculptures for a single banquet? Can you tell me exactly why was Marie Antoinette so hung up about cake? Medievalists and food historian Laura Carlson brings you The Feast, a podcast where meals make history. Let Laura take you on a culinary journey to the past. Find out how food and drink has changed the course of history from royal banquets to revolutionary lunch counters. What ancient and medieval foods are lurking in your kitchen cabinet? Discover the histories behind your favorite recipes from tofu to ketchup to beer. Join Laura Carlson on The Feast. Brought to you by Podglomerate. Because food is just history on a plate. Dig in. Speaking of, well, we weren't speaking of this, but speaking of news. (laughs) (laughs) That was a bad segue. That was a rough segue right there. Bad segue. Bad segue. Um, Speaking uh, of subjects that involve words from the English language, speaking of something else, we have <laughs> Did you see Vince that executive producer Lee Daniels is developing for FX a um adaptation, a series adaptation of the spook who sat by the door. I did see that. And I'm cautiously to, optimistic. Set to star in this adaptation is uh, Wyland Noel, who was famously Daniel on uh, Insecure for mm-hmm. the first three seasons of uh, Insecure, and also starred in the the photograph. Yes. Uh, you said you're, ca- you're you're cautiously optimistic about this. Movie. Yes, 
you you know, I think Lee Daniels has wildly varying degrees of quality in his product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but he's signing on as the executive producer. And that's true. That's and true. Executive producer is usually the person that's kind of like making sure that things are, are you know, spot on from a quality standpoint. He probably has a, his pulse on the look of it. And he is a, a dude with an eye. So I right. will give him that. Um, how do you feel about them adapting what is, I think it's fair to say, a cult film almost? the spook who sat by the door well even though they're adapting it from the actual um novel i was about to say i think to the, the source the, right the book is probably more well known than the film i i think i think this is a good moment for that me too you know i i think we are in this moment as um it, it's funny i was i, I was sort of low-key chastised by my wife a couple of days ago like i think i have to watch judas and the black messiah even though i don't want to watch it and i think we are in this moment whether we're talking about judas and the black messiah whether we're talking about um ava duvernay's work with the central park five oh i i think i i think there is an audience for a reckoning mm-hmm. for these stories mm-hmm. about what has happened with the culpability of the United States government or the police and the spook who sat by the door, uh, I think fits into that very neatly. So I'm for it. Yeah, I'm for it too. I am for it too. Um, I am for it primarily because i actually was introduced to the movie before i was introduced to the book um Mm -hmm. so and i have let's say i have thoughts about the the film but the i remember but my first thought about my my biggest thought about the film is that it's a i felt it was a missed opportunity so Mm -hmm. i like the idea of them adapting this and i do also like uh Wyland Noel, I've seen him. Every time I've seen him, I've enjoyed his work. So I'm um, yeah. I, I right now they're only they're only um, making a pilot, and then we'll see if it you know it gets picked up for a series. And I I hope it comes out well because I I would yeah, like too. I think it's a story that needs to be to- told, and I would like to see him. I think he definitely has the chops to be like a leading actor. So I like him too. I like him too, and and, and much like you, I'm glad he's getting work. Yeah, so am I. Yeah pretty dope um also last thing last piece of news that i saw in the facebook group that the people hit us up on and all of our missionaries we thank you for sharing all the news that you do and all of the like postings and hollywood's going on and on there's a recent interview with the hollywood reporter i believe with uh debbie allen um just talking about her career talking about her you know how she has been able to maintain her debbie allen dance academy in these days of covid Mm -hmm. and they also dropped a little bit of uh news behind the attempts Mm. to reboot a different world and the problems that they've run into which you can imagine all stem down to the creative force behind 
the original A Different World, and that was Mr. Bill Cosby. Lynn, it broke my heart. I saw the headline, and I read it so fast that I didn't see the almost. Mm. So, like, what I saw was Debbie Allen and Issa Rae to to, to um reboot a to reboot world. different world and i was so excited when i read it and then i saw the almost yeah and then i read it and it broke my heart yeah yeah it, I, I, i'm i'm 90 sure we've talked about this on here because i'm not a fan fiction person mm-hmm. but if i was like i have an entire fan fiction of a reboot of different world in my head at all times <laughs> really Dude, we are, and I, and I think we're getting away from, but when I started, we were actually far enough away that the child that Whitley was pregnant with would be going into his or her freshman year. That's right. You, was, I, you We did talk about this. That's right. And, and I was like, Freddie can teach. She can be a prof in the English department. Mm-hmm. And, be, be, and which is funny because, um, Cree Summer played an evil version of that on Queen Sugar last season. <laughs> like she played an evil professor on Queen Sugar. And I thought Ron could still be living in the area. And somebody like I have all like, well, it, it, it broke my heart that it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah. I so. Know. That's, that's, that is a shame, but it's unfortunately it's to be expected. You know, the people are very yeah. about putting money behind something that has Bill Cosby's name attached to it. And not for nothing. I can understand. He probably doesn't want to detach his look, name from it. Look, know? look, I, I've said over the past few months that, that the one thing that has made me happy appropriately enough talking about Debbie Allen and mm-hmm. Debbie Allen's sister. I am so happy that as a community, we swooped in and said, you can't have Felicia Rashad. Right, right. Like, I love how Felicia Rashad is around. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. no one is like, oh, hey, Felicia Rashad don't have nothing to do with this. Yeah, yeah. So it is, it is, it is, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a shame for a lot of different reasons. It is. So, but you know and what? It, and it makes me sad. As much as it makes me sad and as much as it's a shame, there's also a part of me that, you know, am fine with some things just being what they are. You know what I mean? Right. right. And I, I'm and to me, the reimagining or rebooting of a different world, some could say is dear white people. Or grownish, you know. Sure. So, sure. and certainly that's in 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 both of those shows DNA, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine with it. All right. Yeah. Um, Deborah Battle. Hey, Deborah says that she loves fan fiction. She has an idea in her head as well. There you go. There you, there go. you go. And Sharon Eldridge says, man, I need to start watching Queen Sugar. Let me tell you, Vince, <laughs> I was on the phone last night. I called a friend of, of mine last night and um, I said, hey, w- uh, what you doing? And she said, oh, I just finished, you know, season whatever of Queen mm-hmm. Sugar. 
She then proceeded nonstop to give me a <laughs> dissertation, an hour-long dissertation of what's going on in Queen Sugar, how That's much right. she loves Queen Sugar, who's uh-huh. her favorite character in Queen Sugar, uh-huh. who can die in Queen Sugar, oh, who no. can get it in Queen Sugar. Oh, I, no. I, I literally just, my Bluetooth <laughs> died in the middle of her dissertation, and I had to finish it on the speakerphone. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've not started this season yet. People love themselves some Queen Sugar. Hey, man, look. We were early adopters. You know I you know I love some Queen Sugar. I know you love yourself. You know some I queen love sugar. some Queen Sugar. You know, shout out to our boy Omar. Keep doing your thing, brother. That's right. Yeah. Not mad at him. All right. And George Camona said he's actually on a season uh I missed it. On a season three rewatch of a different world. So y'all trying to get me pulled into this. I'm not going to get pulled in. I will say this, and this is where I'm going to get in trouble because, you know, I actually go right to the third rail and I'm still watching the Cosby show. I know we're not really supposed to say that, but I am. (laughs) I am really enjoying like the later seasons. Like one of my favorite later season episodes was on last night and in my house, like, if when when Vanessa goes to see the wretched in Baltimore, oh, I think I remember that. Yes, that yes. shuts down House Williams. Like House <laughs> Williams shuts down. Like it comes on and it says directed by Malcolm Jamal Warner, and you see Vanessa come down the steps in the leather jacket. It's like, oh, she going to see the wretched. She going to see the wretched. I remember that. I do remember she, that. She going to have big fun in Baltimore. <laughs> Oh, look at this. This is really cool. This is cool. On the show, doing it live, ladies and gentlemen. Meow Manifesto just chimed in on the chat, Vince. Finally catching it live. Wanted to let us know that loved the Lean On Me review as a snapshot of that time in history. I never wanted to look at it until I heard you all talk about it. And then she said hi to the entire chat. Oh, hey, welcome. And hope you liked the movie. Yes, hope you, hope you did. All right. Well, um, if I'm looking at the chat, I see that Miss Makiba has chimed in, which means that it's time to get to our review. Ch- <laughs> <laughs> All right, that works for me. Miss Makiba is the t- is the signal that it's time to get to the review, ladies and gentlemen. So let's get to our review of Mudbound. We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. How long have you been back from overseas? Oh, just a couple of weeks. Much obliged, Mr. Triple Banks. You give yourself a wonderful day. Take care. It's all right. It's just a car. It must have backfired. They say it stops eventually. 
you just come back. Come all the way back. My nightmare is always the same. I scream. But there's nothing coming now. This place, this law, we don't belong to them. And I think of the farm. I think of mud and crust and knees and hair. Our family's in trouble. You understand that? Do you? What's the worst thing you ever did? You betray your own blood. You can't even see your own wife is miserable. Silence. Oppression. Fear. It would take an extraordinary man to beat all that. Amen. Mudbound, a 2017 film directed by D. Rez. In the aftermath of World War II, somewhere in the muddy Mississippi Delta, two families, one black, the Jacksons, and the other white, the McGallans, are forced to share the same patch of land, keeping a frail race-based peace with each other. However, as they both struggle with hardship and dire poverty, the long-awaited return of two war veterans, Ron Zell, the Jackson's eldest son, and Jamie, Henry McAllen's younger brother, will unexpectedly nurture a budding friendship that transcends prejudice and race. But in the end, against a backdrop of fevered Mississippi sunsets and racism, life can be hard when the law of the land is still segregation and hatred, and then no one can be Safe. Directed by D. Rez with a screenplay written by D. Rez and Virgil Williams. Mudbound starts stars Jason Mitchell, Carrie Mulligan, Jason Clark, Mary J. Blige, and a wonderful appearance by Jonathan Banks. This was the choice of Lynn Webb. Lynn. How would you like to begin our conversation about Mudbound? Well, I want to begin it, first of all, with the uh, co-writer and director, D. Rez. We just reviewed her um, feature film debut a couple of weeks ago, Pariah, which was easily, as I mentioned on that uh, review, one of my favorite films of the last 10 years. And, and already in top 10 of my favorite films of all time. Love that film. So I was very interested in seeing what else she had in store for us from a directing point of view. And doing outside of she did some um, smaller projects uh, in between, this is kind of like her, her big follow-up to um, Pariah. And it's a very audacious follow-up as a, a lot of you know well-heeled directors will do this is a period piece which mm -hmm. um brings with it a lot of um you know uh challenges uh setting tone and 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 getting the the the, the place 
of a story correct. Uh, this is a, um, uh, a a huge ensemble that she is working with as opposed to like a smaller smaller uh, cast. This is a huge cast, a, a seasoned cast mm-hmm. that she is working with and uh, not for nothing, she is working with a very respected and well rewarded cinematographer in Rachel Mor- uh, Morrison um, who had did work on um, Dope as well as many other um, films and most uh, appreciably she was the cinematographer of choice for Ryan Coogler on Fruitvale Station and on Black Panther so D-Rez for what is her second feature film was stepping in you know she was stepping up it in class and project in every uh, way. So I wanted to see how well she was going to be able to carry the baton on this film. And I will say that she carries it very, very well. I think that Mudbound is a... I think it's a, a gorgeous piece of direction and cinematography even though it is a very dark and mm-hmm. appropriately muddy film like mm-hmm. this this film this film <clears throat> dank this film is is wet with with um emotion it's it's wet with with uh despair anger um uh, uh, um, like it's it's just it's just drenched in in and so heavy, and it permeates everything that is happening in in this film from the footsteps, the clopping in the mud, and the mud just trailing every place. Uh, it actually it's very striking to me in watching this film that the scenes that take place in Mississippi, where these where these two families live are so are so dark that when you cut to the two boys of the family uh, one's a brother one's a son of the family but when you cut to their exploits in World War II it almost looks lighter it almost looks Isn't like that crazy? That's, the, that's the you know that's the good times. You know what I mean? Right, that's the sunshine. Right. That's the sunshine of this film. Uh, when they're, when uh, Ronzel is, is rolling in his tanks, when Jamie is flying in his airplane, even though it, each time you see them, it's in the midst of heavy combat, you know? But it, it's, it's a different type. That is blinding action. But the drama and the heartbreak is, is at home. So this is... Uh, a, just a the the combination of the skills of director D. Rez and Rachel Morrison create a visually stunning and um, impactful motion picture. Right, the story I will say is a is a little bit of a bait and switch 
to me mm, because the beginning of the film, you are introduced. Um, the beginning of the film really like sets a bit of a tone because it's set in like this heavy storm. There's always a storm on, on this on this farm, but this, it's set in this heavy storm where these two um, white men are trying to bury the, the, their father. And mm-hmm. there is a sense that one may betray the other for reasons unbeknownst to you. Uh, and then they come ac- across these black uh, sharecroppers who uh, who work on the land. And there's a sense of uneasiness between between them. And you don't know where that stems from. And then it cuts to, you know, it goes back in time and it cuts to the origin of more or less the Jason Clark uh, character, it cuts to him um, as a businessman. He is Henry and he's a, a businessman and he comes across this young lady and you see him fall in love and decide to like forgo business because he wants to, to uh, buy a farm um because he's beginning he believes in the promise of the american dream to be your own man and things of this nature um and you spend a lot of time with him getting to that point where your i was left with okay is this uh what's this film doing is this mostly about this family mm-hmm. but then you you cut to and you cut to the Jacksons, um, which are the black sharecroppers, uh, which are, is played by Mary J. Blige, as you as you mentioned. And I think a very unheralded performance by Rob Morgan as Hat, yep. Hat That's Jackson. That's right. That's and right. Rob Morgan, a name and a face that has appeared many times um in black cinema recently and a couple of times here mm-hmm. on, the, on the mission as well. He was in Pariah. Exactly. He um, was in Pariah. It, it as a totally different face. It totally mm-hmm. like you it's totally different character. So he's not a man that's like stuck in one speed. Um but then you turn into these the, the sharecroppers and they're just trying to eke out their existence on this this muddy farm and just trying to sow as much hopefulness out of their experience as they can right um and i was like okay all right i see we're going to be seeing the juxtaposition between these two families and that juxtaposition and how they the the families um lies become entangled with one another it's very interesting however i don't think it is the most original story i mean it's a story that i've seen a couple of other times in other pieces of of fiction whether it be on film or on tv so Mm -hmm. i'm left with then what is the difference and the difference there lies in like I said, the direction of D. Rez and the cinematography mm-hmm. of Rachel Morris Morrison, but primarily in the performances, in the mm. acting. And the acting, the the life that everyone in this film, Jason Clark as Henry, who's just a mm-hmm. just I don't I don't know, just a, a, a 
I want to say he's just this helpless optimistic, but I, I think he's just a, a bit of a boob and a, a bit of a, uh, I don't even know how to describe, describe his character, but he, he, he's, he's, he's swindled. He's easily swindled. He is, uh, a love, a unromantic person. I don't want to say loveless. Cause I think he actually does have affection for the people in his life, be it his wife, be it his brother, be it his, his, father but he's unromantic in how he expresses that he's just he's just a a a plain plain spoken guy he has he's married to the a, a wife who is a plain spoken woman who longs for more his brother um played by garrett headland is a a man returned from war with many deep scars inside of him that are just um bleeding to the surface um that is it and then you pointed out jonathan banks as their father pappy who is just the depiction of mississippi in the late 40s early 50s and that is what he is he's old he's cantankerous <laughs> he's nasty he's blunt and he's to the marrow racist 100% <laughs> it's like it's like mm, it's that racist that you appreciate because you know exactly what you're getting they're like there's no falseness with that man Ooh, that's pure racism right there <laughs> that's right that's right you see what that say right there in my arm racist <laughs> you know what i mean so right. and and jonathan banks is is doing the work uh rest in peace i actually think we lost him uh not too long ago um and then just then i mentioned rob morgan um jason mitchell who is an actor i've heard many many things about and you hey, and- hey, hey. jonathan banks is alive he's on better call sal and breaking bad easy no, I, 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 he was on Breaking Bad, and he was on. I thought I heard read that. No, he had, Jonathan, don't be killing Jonathan Banks. Okay, okay, and then it was the wrong name. It was the wrong name. All I right, well, I, easy, slow down with that. All right, go I, ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, Vince. I apologize. I thought that I, <laughs> I thought I saw that the man had passed away. Right, but he had not. I apologize. Okay, I apologize. better call Sal is coming on in a few. Months, hopefully. Okay. All right. All right. Go ahead. Y- yes, Sharon Eldridge. I will not Abe Vigoda Jonathan Banks. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. My bad. Um, so you. So then you have J- Jason Mist- Mitchell as Ronzel, who is an actor. Actually, while I'm familiar with the name and I've seen him once or twice i haven't really like sat down and like focused and seen like a full jason mitchell um mm-hmm. performance and he is uh, a very captivating actor mm-hmm. in this yeah. he, he, he and his his character ronzel is filled with there is a a a a anger that is just like boiling inside of him that 
cannot be released it, it just mm-hmm. can't it can't be released uh, to the detriment of him um sharon eldridge has reminded me that jason mitchell was in straight out of compton you don't want to hear hear what i thought about straight out of compton so but he was good in it he was good in it he was he, he was, was good, good. One of the, you know um but it, it this is uh he he actually is just but as much as he has the anger in him, he also shows the wistfulness of a young person who was who had to leave their first love. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I actually appreciated appreciated that. Um, I appreciated his performance. I, I talked about Rob Morgan, and I I, I am all here for the second coming <laughs> of Mary J. Blige. Let me tell you, man, I I am a huge Mary J. Blige fan. There are a few, few singers I have every album in their discography. Mary J. Blige is one of them. She the queen and, of hip-hop soul. And I have, you know, I haven't seen all of her acting work but when I do see Mary J. Blige act, I am always pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoy her. Um, and and that means I enjoyed her just kicking ass in Umbrella Academy. And I, she is almost unrecognizable mm-hmm. in this film as Mary J. Blige, she just comes across as the most seasoned of character actors that I've ever seen in this, in this movie. And it is no surprise that she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting mm-hmm. Actress because of her, her role in this film. And it is that group of actors and the life that they give to this movie which I, I which like I said I don't think the story is super super original the shame of that is because this is a story as old as time you know right you know uh, coming home and finding that oh you're still a black man coming home a veteran and dealing with PTSD and falling into alcoholism and and everything else it's a story that's been told over and over again but their performances coupled with the images that D-Rez and Rachel Morrison um, craft around them is what makes this an exceptional piece of work yeah yeah, this is this is a case of I'm so happy that we both get to pick movies because I would never ever have chosen this. I know, I know, because I hate these movies. I know, you know, I hate these I dirt road period piece. You know, down in the south, mm-hmm. something ba- like I hate these movies, and it is a testament. To how good this movie is, that it worked so well, and and like you, I think it works for a lot of reasons that speak to the quality of the overall product. You know, I won't repeat what you said. I think D. Rez's um, direction is exceptional. 
it's exceptional. We, we, we talked about it in Pariah, just the way she stages scenes, just the way she, she works with her actors. Mm-hmm. All of it is amazing. Much like you, I think the acting is sublime. Um, I, I thought Jason Mitchell was fantastic. I thought Mary J. Blige was fantastic. Jonathan Banks can do no wrong with me, frankly. He rose from the so, grave. You, you know, <laughs> he, he rose <laughs> from the grave. And of all of them, I thought Jason Clark was a revelation. I thought Henry was the most fascinating character that I have seen in a film in a really long time. And the reason for that is something that I will talk about. I think this screenplay is amazing. Mm-hmm. I think this screenplay is amazing. The adapted screen, you, you know, was nominated for an Academy Award, which this is one of the times I think the Academy got it right. Part of the reason I think this film works so well within the context of, as you said, we have seen this before. Mm-hmm. is because A, I think it plays fair. Like like when the film comes on, and again, talking about the direction, talking about the choices that D-Rez makes, as you said, that opening scene, it's the two brothers digging this grave for their father. Uh, Jamie, the younger brother, has a black eye. Which right. lets you know, which lets you know he's been in a fight. There's that wonderful exchange talking about the screenplay where they're digging a hole before the storm. Uh, there's a storm coming, and and Jamie is in the hole, and it starts raining, and the water starts to rise. His older brother says, "I'm going to go and get a ladder," and Jamie starts to panic. Yeah, and when his brother comes back and gets him out, Jamie says. I thought you would were going to leave me down there. And his brother says, why would you think that? And the way that the actors say the lines, the way that D-Rez stages it, the way she holds it for a beat, you understand there's more going on there with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. The Jacksons are leaving town and, and, and there's a reference to something bad happening. So from the very beginning, you know that those familiar beats are going to get hit right in right. these in in like you see in one of these films i like the fact that it all kind of made sense like this 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 plot element that um that ronzel has gone off to war and he's come back and he's he's got new sensibilities Mm-hmm. about his role in the world. I mean, this is all historically accurate. It happened after World War One. It happened after World, World War II, II when these black yeah. soldiers went overseas, came back, and they were not with the shits. And then that led to these conflicts. Mm-hmm. So that makes perfect sense. What we know about PTSD, even though you have these cultural mores and this sort of caste system in place, um, Ronzel and Jamie are both soldiers dealing with what we now know know as is PTSD. It makes sense that that would bond them. Exactly. You talk about the choice that D-Rez makes where after that initial scene, we get almost 15 minutes 
just with the White family. Mm-hmm. But I think that was such a smart decision because what that does, it, it establishes that each of the characters has their own voiceover. Yeah. Which basically yeah. tells you about them. And I love the fact that these white characters through the lens of this black creator are humanized in a way that we don't see white characters in like this. Like white characters in this type of movie are either demons and devils or they're these angelic allies. They're, you're right. That's, you're right. I will give you that. Yeah. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about setting them up first is that you see they have their own stuff going on. They have mm-hmm. weaknesses. They have this. And the reason I love Henry so much is because this character is in the center of all of these different perspectives. Like you said, he gets swindled by this other white man. His father is amazingly disrespectful to him. He's sort of you know, like his brother's just smoother than him. Like his brother's just super charming and super engaging. And Henry is just like, like you can tell he's just sort of a hardworking straight arrow guy. Right. But like, he's not really a ladies man at all. No. no so he, he's very much this sympathetic character when you see him through the eyes of the white characters. But I love how there is menace to his presence mm-hmm. when the black characters see him. Like, I love there's a moment right after he gets swindled and his father calls him stupid and he's almost sad sack and pitiful. Mm-hmm. The next scene, he goes to the farm and he knocks on the door of the Jackson's house. It's at night. They're eating dinner and just... Just amazingly casually, he tells this other grown man, you got to get up and come and help me. Yeah. Because I'm a white man and I own this land that you have. And he's not calling nobody a nigga and he ain't trying to lynch nobody. And you don't get the sense that that's even him. That's not him. But that's he, not him. But he's a product of this world. Exactly. And in this exactly. world, a white man has this power over black people, and it's not even worth acknowledging. Like, he speaks to him like a child. So that I love how Henry and and and, and the performance by Jason Clark, who captures all of these different dimensions of this character, depending on who's looking at him. Mm-hmm. I, I love how Henry really is almost the 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 center the the center spoke the the center wheel that all the other spokes stick out of and you see how he is ref- like, like how people's relationship with this world are reflected off of how he is in any given scene and i think it's a wonderful performance and it's it's this wonderful fusion of the screenplay the performance and the direction. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And ironically, the only misstep in the film, like the only part of the film where I said, oh, D-Rez copped out a little bit. 
I don't think it's a spoiler to say, especially since they allude to it in the very first scene, that something bad happens. I'll just say something bad happens. Well, well, yeah. Racially. I did not like the fact that Henry is out of town when it happens. Yeah, I I didn't like that either. Like, yeah. I really I, I wanted through. to see this character who, again, he's not like his father. Like, he's not frothing at the mouth, racist, and you got to use a backdoor and this, that, and the other. But at the same time, he's also not his brother, mm-hmm. who's kind of, you know, iconoclastic, or his wife, right. who's not from this. Like, he's a product of this world. And I would have loved to have seen him navigate this lynching situation and how he would because this is a character again that you see throughout the film Mm -hmm. that kind of you don't know what to do like like he's not a good guy but he's not a bad guy like he's just a man and and I I just thought he was I thought he was a wonderful character and 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 in my mind like that elevated the whole film for me. Yeah, yeah, I I, I see what you well first of all I hadn't looked at his character from that point of view from that lens and you're right I do see how he is the spoke that spins the story from from everyone's different perspective especially because like you said, at that moment when he is, when he knocks on the door for a hap to come help him with the, with the, um, luggage and to the moment when, um, hap who proves your axiom that sometimes you're too old to be on a ladder. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about you when I saw that scene when Hap falls off the ladder. Um, but to the scene when Henry visits Hap and basically tells him that you're going to rent my mule so that mm-hmm. you can get the crops down on time. In 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 that one moment, he is in his mind as being depicted being a good guy but also being a cut and dry businessman right, right. because right. yeah hap i came to check on you i hope you get better but we ain't friends you right. work here and this is how this this is going to get done you know right and by the letter of the law He's not by the letter of the law of the time. He's not wrong. He's doing and he's doing what he probably didn't have to do because there's some who just said, well, you got to get up out of here. You know what I mean? Well, he threw the white family off the land. True. True. Exactly. So. um, So, yeah, I, I do. I do like that. I'm with you. I see what you're saying about the the slight cop out of him not being there for the whole lynching thing. But one, it plays fair because there is a line given to his character always being out of town when bad stuff happens. There's right, a line true. given to that That's earlier true. in the film. Um, and two, he is a character who, despite the unintended menace of his presence sometimes 
in from the black point of view is woefully uh unobservant about what is going on like he does not see tension he does not see what's happening between his brother and his wife he doesn't see what's happening between his brother and um ronzel he is he turns a blind eye to the blatant racism of his father and just assumes that you know his you know hey this is just the life that we live in you know let's just get along uh, is will just mask some of that stuff um so it makes sense that whatever tension is permeating he's totally uh, uh, oblivious to it and he's like oh i gotta go i'm business first i gotta take care of the house that means i gotta be on the road to go to go take care of whatever i gotta take care of and then three from a story point of view if he is there i think you might be able to call into question what his character and what role his character might have played in that whole scene you're not quite sure um but i think if he's there you run the risk of villainizing him more than you really want to villainize that character at right, that moment right. especially at that moment in the story like to to, right. to turn the worm on him at that moment to have him be the villain i think it actually is more powerful that he probably can't even imagine that something like this would happen and to be quite honest it's very ambiguous of whether or not he knows what really happened because, well, I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, because I, I, you don't, you don't uh, get the sense that he truly knows what happened, what happened to Ronzel, right? And what happened to? Well, we know he doesn't know what happened between Jamie and his wife. Um, he's just still oblivious, even at the end. I just, I was so. It was such a wonderful moment when he brings Hap in the truck and he has that great, like, again, I love the script. I love the screenplay where he just, the, the casual racism of him telling his father, he has to move over in the truck mm-hmm. so that Hap can sit in the truck because certainly Hap can't ride in the car with my white wife and my right. children. Like that's, and, and it's just, it's so breezy mm-hmm. the way he does it. Like I was curious to see, how he would deal with the picture of Ronzel's biracial child mm. and the white woman. Mm-hmm. Like you knew this was, you know, you knew this was a time bomb. Like, you know, it's like Chekhov's biracial child. Right. Right. And I, and, and again, Jonathan Banks character is, is he, he played him brilliantly, but he's pretty one note. Yes. The other Klansmen, again, pretty one note. Mm-hmm. But as, as we've talked, it's it's appropriately enough because we were talking about Uptight. And every time I think about Uptight, I also think about Nothing Like a Man. Yeah. Like those are my two marquee films that I've discovered through this show. And in Nothing Like a Man, we talked about the casual racists. Mm-hmm. 
Like, like everybody wasn't dragging people out of their beds and lynching them and setting them on fire. Like that was a special dude, right. that dude. Right, right. But the vast majority just, you're just a product of this system. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that was Henry. So in That's a lot Henry. of ways, Henry is, is, is more dangerous than his father. Yeah, and again, and again, I thought D. Rez's direction did a great. Like every time there was a on the door, it's Henry. Mm-hmm. But the way the the set the the way the scene is staged, the way the actors react to it, there's nothing good on the other side of that door. No matter how friendly he is, and right. you, you know, you know, I want you to come work for me. I need you to come and help me. This, that, and the other. But this is not a good situation. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted to see that, but but you're right. I, you, you know, you're. I, I think you're right. And and if anything, this is a case of. I thought the creation of this character was so good and so nuanced. I just wanted to see more of it. Like now, I want like what would Henry be like in space? <laughs> I wonder if Henry can swim. <laughs> Does Henry like sushi? Like, I just had questions about Henry because I thought he was such a wonderful character. Um, A couple of things, talking about the script, there are some wonderful, like like I said, there are all these monologues and and there are some wonderful speeches in here. Like, Like Rob Morgan's character talking about land. Oh, yes. And about and deeds. W- and deeds. It was just glorious, just him yes. talking about it. Uh, we haven't talked about her much. Carrie Mulligan, who yes. plays basically almost a school marm who mm-hmm. gets moved to, you know, because she's not really a country girl like this. Her monologue about being surrounded by death and dead animals was amazing. Yeah. And there were all, all every, all of the, Mary J. Blige talking about her character loving her children. All of these characters have these wonderful speeches mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that work because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of interior monologues. And, and again, it's just a really well put together film that on paper I should hate. Think of how much we have a co- more than a couple of times here. We have frowned on voiceovers, and right. this is a movie that dares to give you multiple voiceovers, multiple points of view. Yet it always works. It yeah. it, it it works, and it's it 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 really is smart. Uh, you talking about the, the speeches. I loved Mary J. Blige's speech. It was so honest about how she, um, while Ronzel was away at war, she only, you know, she loved her father, she loved her husband, she loved mm. every one of her kids, but I only prayed for him. I only prayed for mm. Ronzel, and the Lord will forgive me. And that was that was real. That's real, dog. It's real talk. And then she talked about how, you know, she didn't want to, you know, you didn't want to see him leave. And she knew, you know, every inch, every beat of him. 
Uh, and she, yeah. And, and then that is echoed in the end after you see the tragedy that happens to him. Um, just like, like I said, man, like Mary J. Blige, I, I, I was already a fan of her, uh, as a, um, as an, as an actress, but I, she was just a, a revelation. Um, yeah. In this film, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. That's real. I mean, wow, man. Yeah. I, I like you pointing that out about uh, Jason Clark, that point of view. That actually hadn't occurred to me. And and he's another one. He's another actor who I find every time I see him, he just does good work. He's just a he's good, good actor. He's really, really good. And and like you said, it, it kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of sneaks up on you. It was it was so pleasant seeing him. Um again, Rob Morgan, who I'm I'm a big fan of. I was so happy for him that he, you know, he played Turk mm-hmm. in all the Netflix Marvel shows. Mm-hmm. So like he was the only character that showed up in each of the shows. And I was so happy that he got that shine. Yeah. And I will yeah. say, uh, having just watched him in, I'm pretty sure it was the photograph that the Issa Rae Lakeith Stansfield movie. Um, and he's like the right, best, right. He's the best thing in that movie. Right. Cause he plays the older character of, um, of, my man um, that you just talked he, about. Yeah. Wyland Noel. Right. He plays, yeah. he plays him older. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Rob Morgan is very good. Very good. Very good. Very actor. good. Um, so, wow, wow. Yeah, this is there's a lot, and and I think we are purposefully while we're hitting on some viewpoints of the film, we're not trying to give too much of it away, um, because or at least I'm not because it it's a film that I. I suspect there are a lot of people like you, Vince, that right. you see this movie, you you either watch the trailer or you hear about it, and you either get the sense of that this is oh I don't I'm not in the mood for this type this type of film right now. I've seen this before. I don't need to go back to to this type of story or to this time. I don't I I don't need that, and um. I, I just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that as much as some of the beats might be familiar, the whole package is something that is worthy of viewing and worthy to be praised. You will enjoy Well, yourself. the last thing I will say about the direction and and that is and, and again, I don't think it's a spoiler because it tells you from the very beginning something bad is going to happen. This is one of the best calibrated films that we've talked about probably since Menace to Society which does the, the like like it it, it 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 the tension dials up mm, okay okay yeah. moment by moment it is so well calibrated mm-hmm. how it all it's almost like it, it, it like I don't even want to say a slow train wreck because the train wreck has an explosion, but it's almost like this dance of tension mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where each moment the characters are moving closer and closer to this last moment. Well, you you actually just illustrated when you said like the tightening up 
like the tightening up of a bow or or mm-hmm. or the strings on on a guitar or even maybe more to the point like a violin until it just reach it reach that that note that you where it really all comes together and it's just like crescendos and music just yeah comes out and and that really is a very horrific you know like uh, right but you almost like like the crazy thing is you know i'm talking about minister society but it's almost like that moment in get out where Mm -hmm. when when it happens it's almost like a release yeah yeah like you're almost right and it's like i'm just glad we got to this moment but Mm -hmm. Again, I think that that is uh, um, testament to the direction. Yes. Like that's purely the direction. Mm-hmm. How she kind of manages to keep you there. And even if I didn't have to watch this, I, I had to see where it landed. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the question, as always, Lynn, would you recommend Mudbound? I would highly recommend Mudbound. I would recommend Mudbound uh, unabashedly to people. Uh, it is a it is it's an experience. I'm going to mm-hmm. say I'm going to say that. You know, um, there are some films that you know, like oh man, you got to get through it, and you come out on the other side, and you just feel like no, this movie, this movie, it takes you places, but it leaves you someplace as well, and you are. Mm-hmm you are um you're affected by where it leaves you but i don't think you're affected in the way that you think you will be uh true and that is a testament to all of the creatives who worked to put this film together i agree i agree i i i think the the, the sheer quality of this film makes it transcend those of us who have reservations mm-hmm. about this. I think this is a film that that there there are situations, but this never falls into this sort of race trauma porn right. that you get. And I suspect that part of that is frankly because D-Rez is black. Mm-hmm. And you don't get the sense that she's interested in that. No. No, like I said, the 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 characters are amazing. I I think the characters are amazing. I'm I'm going to keep saying I think this character Henry is one of the best depictions of a white man in this system mm-hmm. that I've ever seen on screen. Right, and you know, frankly, I'll I'll be adding him to my own lexicon when we talk about whiteness through a black lens, like we do oftentimes. And, and she's really kind of derez and, and, and this in the screenplay is really kind of set my new benchmark for that. Yeah. But um, so yeah, I would absolutely recommend this film. There you go. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. So check out Mudbound. Uh, it is, it is streaming and it's streaming someplace you got. I know you got it. I'm not, we're not going to give a free plug, but trust me, I know you have where it's streaming. So go watch Mudbound. It's probably sitting on your list and you're like, I don't know. It's like Mary J. Blige in that hat. And you're like, yeah, I don't know about this. Right, right. Trust me. Trust me. 
Check it out. Check it out. Because there's some Mary moments of look, there's Mary some cool moments like of black love in this. Right. What'd you say? Mary don't look like she in the dancery in this. No, 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 no. But there's some cool moments of black love. There's a nice little moment yeah. where her and Rob Morgan are sharing a little dance. Yeah. yeah there's, there's love in this film. So I, yeah. I, I peep it. I, I love it. All right. Uh, before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week, ladies and gentlemen, what we'll be reviewing next week, I invite you all to, if you have any thoughts and concerns, you can get in on our Facebook group. Uh, you can also email us send your emails to the michelle mission at gmail.com like and follow us on all the social medias instagram facebook twitter subscribe on youtube to at me show mission hit us up and you can go to the me show mission.com two men one podcast every black film ever made and hit swag where you can check out all of the cool designs that we have available to you by way of our good friends at t public you can also become a subscriber to the me show mission dispatch our weekly newsletter that gives people an updates on what's going on in the world of the Michelle Mission. The Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com curated podcast for your earbuds and listening pleasure. And for two more weeks, the Michelle Mission will is available on 106.5 FM People Power Media Philly Cam. Philly Cam. Here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection every Saturday at 1 p.m. And on Mondays at 9 a.m. on 91.7 FM, the WKDU FM, the voice of Drexel University. All right. I believe that is all the plugs. So next week, it is Vincent's turn the t- table to take the lead on the mission what will yes. we be reviewing next week Vincent well we we talked about the the untimely passing of Cicely Tyson mm. and this is a film that that I like her in basically I, well we'll talk about it but I like her role in this film as a love interest is a film I have great fondness for. We will see if that fondness is based on the quality of the film (laughs) or other aspects of the film experience. And that would be Bustin' Loose from 1981, I believe. 1981. So Bustin' Loose, Richard Pryor, Cicely Tyson, a bunch of kids. On a bus. Sound On a bus. Soundtrack by Roberta Flack. Next week on the Michelle Mission. All right. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, please be safe, be well. And he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu, it's been a pleasure knowing you, I'll see you when it's time to meet again.